Um, we live by simple rules. We really do. We live by simple rules. Um, if, if you, you we kind of hear these things all the time, like be yourself, you know, be yourself. And, and when we think about that, there's a kind of a rule that goes behind it. Be yourself, you know, because that's the problem is that some people want to live like other people. Um, another simple rule is know yourself. You know, it just when people tell you this stuff, it's like know yourself. You know, I don't have to know myself. That's my wife's job. She knows me better than I do, you know. And, and I love when, when we have the simple rules of pick up after yourself. Pick up after yourself. You know, why should I make my bed knowing that my mom's going to come in and make it for me? I'm just saying, why? Um, keep your word, you know. I think this is one of the best pieces of advice you could ever hear. Keep your word. That means be quiet. Don't say nothing. Then you won't break your promises. Um, have, have good table manners. You know, the only good table manners I like is at the dinner tray table, right? Because that's perfect. There ain't no one else eating on my dinner tray table. Um, and here's another rule that we always live by. When you're leaving on a trip, they always look at you and say, be safe. You know, be safe. Uh, matter of fact, I dropped Tony off um, to school. And as I was leaving, his, his uh, friend Tia said, Tia or Taya? Taya. Taya said, um, be safe. And I said, just because you said so, I will. You know, it's like, of course, it's going to be safe, right? I mean, these are rules that we live by. Don't count all your chickens before they hatch. My kids will always go through, and on these special occasions when we make buffalo wings, they, you know, the whole tray is there, and they're just dripping with buffalo sauce, and, and they all start serving their, their wings. And then someone has the smarts to say, Dad, did you get your wings yet? I go, No. And all of them just kind of hang their head and start putting them back because they know they counted their chickens before they hatch. Dad is coming. All right, that's true. True, yeah, that's right. That's the only time my wife said amen. That's true, true. Um, you know, and, and so we have these little simple principles that we live by to help us, to remind us of things, um, simple principles, simple rules that help us keep us on a, on a path of, of not getting lost. And in the book of Amos, God gives his people two simple things to help them. Two simple things. And at the moment, Israel is lost. At this moment when the prophet Amos comes to them, they're lost. They, they, they have taken the path that God did not want them to take. And now he's going to try to give them uh, some hope. See, the prophet Amos came from a village in, in uh, Totoka. And uh, it's about 10 miles south of Jerusalem in the lower part of Judah. And so he's part of the lower part of the kingdom because the kingdom split. So he's part of the Lord kingdom. Now God has called him and he goes north and he enters into Israel to, to um, speak to them. And if you read the book of Amos, it, most of it is about judgment and about the consequences of their sin, about the day of the Lord that's coming. And Amos spoke um, a little before Hosea uh, during this time, probably around 760, 750 B.C. And so Amos verse 1 and chapter 1 says this. The words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa, a vision he saw concerning Israel two years before the earthquake when Uzziah was king of Judah and Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, was king of Israel. So here comes Amos on the scene and he's coming in between these two rules. Uzziah's in the, the, the lower kingdom and Jeroboam's in the northern kingdom. And God begins to say, I'm bringing a message to Israel. 
But what happens is he begins to pronounce all these judgments and he goes to the towns of Damascus, Gaza, Tyre, um, Adam, Moab, and, and even Judah and the lower thing. And if you look on a map, it's almost like God is bringing judgment and it's creating this circle. And, it, and that's, what's, that's what's so interesting about God. He just sees the big picture and he's bringing judgment to all these, all these towns around Israel, and then finally God turns his attention right to the middle, and that's Israel. And Israel is experiencing a time of wealth and prosperity. King um, Jeroboam II was, uh, he even expanded some of his territory. Um, and so people were worshiping gods left and right, false gods, gods of sex, gods of war, gods of weather. And it was just something that was happening, and they would worship in Bethel, and they would worship in Dan. Now, see, Jeroboam was the 14th king of northern Israel. He was the 14th king. But the first king, Jeroboam, the first Jeroboam, he did something that was wrong. So if we read in 1 Kings 12, it gives us the background of why Amos went to Bethel. So the first king, when, when what happened was the people went to Solomon and said, Hey, your dad was real hard on us. Please just ease up some of the pressure, some of the taxes, some of the burden, and we'll, we'll serve you for the rest of your life. And so Rehoboam said, okay, let me think about this, the son of Solomon. He said, let me think about this. And, and so he goes back and he consults the elders, and then he asks his friends, what do you think? And they said, no, man, you should really be hard on them. Make them really understand what, what servanthood is all about. So Rehoboam comes back and says, hey, we are going to, we're going to make it harder. You think my dad was tough on you? I'm going to be tough. It's going to be hard. You're going to serve me. And then finally Jeroboam says, what, what do we have to do with the house of David? Let's get out of here. And the kingdom splits. Ten people or ten tribes go with Jeroboam. And then all of a sudden two stay with, with um, Rehoboam down in the south. So, so this split. Now God told Jeroboam, I know we're going through a little history here, but but just as kind of to set up the context, God told Jeroboam that if you follow me and do what I ask, I'm going to be with you. You're going to be a great king. It's going to be great. But this is what he did in, in 1 Kings 12, verse 25. Then Jeroboam fortified Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. And from there he went out and built up Peniel. And Jeroboam thought to himself, the kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David if... These people go up and offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. And so Jeroboam was so afraid that when the kingdom split, that when it came time for all the people to come back to the temple of God and to worship God, because they were required to for three, three festivals, they were required to all come back. Jeroboam was so concerned that when they came back, they're going to say, man, what are we doing? We're one nation. We're God's people. And, and we just want to be one nation again and get rid of Jeroboam. So Jeroboam did something that he wasn't supposed to. And he was afraid. And so it said this if, in verse 27. If these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to the Lord and Rehoboam, the king of Judah. And they will kill me and return to King Rehoboam. After seeking advice, the king made two golden calves, and he said to the people, It's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. One he set up in Bethel, and the other in Dan. And this thing became a sin, and the people came to worship the one 
to worship the one at Bethel and went as far as Dan to worship the other. So Jeroboam set up his people for failure. He said, listen, I don't want you guys to go back. It's too far. It's too hard for you to go. So let's worship in Bethel. Let's worship in Dan. I'll make it easy. And he basically put one in the north and one in the south so that people had a closer spot to go to. And he set up these cows. He set up these animals, these idols, and they began to worship this. And this was something they were not supposed to do. And, and the reason why is because God chose the people of Israel. Amos 3.2 says this, You only have I chosen for all your families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your sins. I will punish you. Not only were they in, diving into idolatry, not only were they worshiping these false gods, but they were also being unjust to the people who were in their community that were poor. They were being unjust to those who were having hard times. And they would sell them. They would sell them for a pair of sandals. They were just commodity. They were just slaves to them, their own people. But they were poor. And they even shut the mouths of the prophet. Because, see, God is always wanting to speak to us. And here in Amos 2.12, it says this. But you made the Nazarites drink the wine and commanded the prophets not to prophesy. And their very attempts to, to live according to their own standard and to shut the mouths of the prophets, this is where God finally says in verse 4 or verse 12 of chapter 4: Israel, prepare to meet your God. Israel, prepare to meet your God. Amos goes on to talk about the day of the Lord that is coming. A time when God will judge them because they lacked righteousness and they were being unjust to the people because they worshiped false gods and they were being cruel to people. But even before this moment, the Lord tells them something. And this is, this is the, the points that I want to share with you this morning. Because I believe this, that there are two simple principles that that God gave them to live by and they would find life and they would find forgiveness. And I believe these are the same two principles that we can live by and find life and find forgiveness and harmony with God. We cannot become complacent in our spiritual lives. Israel was complacent. Israel was at a time when they had prosperity, they had peace. They, they, weren't, they weren't going to war. They didn't cry out to God because they were living off the land. They were living off of all of their wealth and prosperity. And, and they saw poor people and they didn't care for them. And so they began to live unrighteously and unjust. But the wonderful thing is that even through this, God wanted to save his people. And if we would heed the warning that God gave Israel today... I believe that we will walk in righteousness and be just towards people. And so, yes, the book of Amos is a lot of judgment. If you read it, there's a lot of judgment to all the surrounding areas around Israel and to Israel itself. But at the very end, in chapter 9, God said this, And that day I will restore David's fallen shelter and I will repair its broken walls and restore its ruins and rebuild it as it used to be. In verse 15 it says, I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. God, even in the midst of their sin, wants to give them a future that's good, a future of hope. So what principles should we live by? What principles should we live 
in order to walk in righteousness, in order to be just towards others. The first principle is this, love God. So simple, love God. Look what God told them in Amos 5, verse 4. It says, this is what the Lord says to Israel. Seek me and live. God tells them, seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel. God knows exactly where Jeroboam the first created those false temples, those false idols. And he says, if you want to live, seek me, not Bethel. Don't seek Bethel. God wanted them to seek the true God, the one and only God, the God who was their God, and he does not want his people to set up false idols and false gods in their life. Matter of fact, Exodus 20, verse 3 says, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. The wording that is in Exodus is, 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 is slightly unusual, the way it's worded. Having no gods before me. This phrase is basically saying this, that, it, that if you are a husband and you have a wife and then you go and get another wife, you've committed adultery. You've committed adultery. So if you're married and your wife is alive and then you leave her and get someone else before you, you've committed adultery. Isn't this interesting why God said later on in Exodus 20, he says that you shall not have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or earth below or the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. God says, listen, I don't want anything before you that is going to take away from the relationship that we have. I don't want anything before you that is going to keep this, this covenant that we've made with each other. It's almost like a covenant of marriage and we know that, that we are waiting for our bridegroom to come because we are the bride. Christ is the bridegroom. We have been set apart for him. God says, if you want to live, seek me. Don't seek false gods. Don't put anything before you love God and love God only love God only I was reminded when we had some we had some visitors coming over during the winter time and and uh, and, and they got stuck on on I-90 so we opened up our home and they were traveling from north central to a, a place and and they were there and and um, and one of these guys, you know, he just liked these sci-fi movies. And he's like, hey, man, have you seen, you know, the new Spider-Man movie that came out? I said, no. I said, my wife doesn't like um, sci-fi movies, so we usually don't go to movies like that. You know, we'll watch them later when they come out on DVD. Remember those days when they came out on DVD? But, but I, you know, I'm not going to go because my, my wife doesn't. He goes, man, he says, man. Uh, listen, just, just go with a friend, man. Just go with a friend. And, and I said, I'm sorry, but my best friend doesn't like sci-fi movies. You know, and, and, and the thing is, is that I don't want any other friend before me except my wife. Now, I have multiple friends and all that, but in the context of marriage, there is no one before me except my wife. Why? Because it keeps my attention. It keeps my focus. There's a lot of distractions in our life. And if we put false gods before us, things that we think are okay, things that we think that are good, but they're not from God, they're not of God, they're not God, then we are going to bow down and worship those things in our life. You know, having a love relationship makes you crazy. Having a love relationship just, just doesn't put you in the right mindset. 
I want to give you a couple examples of this. Go ahead and put up those slides. Does this look like love? They, they love their team. But think about this. Look at the way they dress. Go to the next one. Does this look like love? These people are crazy. They love their team. They love going there. And they are willing to look foolish for their team. Does this look like love? Not this season. But in previous seasons, the Vikings fans would be crazy. They'd just get all makeup up. They got all the horns on. Why? Because they are so in love. But let's look at love in a reality. Yeah, that, that looks like love, right? We're willing to stay with the team even though they stink. Yeah, they're willing to stay with the team even when they, they stink. But see, that's why God says, I don't want nothing else before me. Because I want you to love me. I want you to be focused on me. And you may be going through hardships. You may be going through good times. You may be going through times where you can't even hear me. But as long as you keep seeking me, you're going to live. As long as you keep seeking me, you are going to find me. But if you put false idols in front of you, if you start allowing things like greed, pride, lust, selfishness, anger, bitterness, stand before you, it's going to drive a wedge between you. It's going to drive a wedge between you. When my wife and I were dating in college, you know, we were just so happy and we just loved it. You know, we loved being in that dating relationship. But there were times where some of our friends wanted to put a wedge between us. And they wanted to put a wedge between us. Why? Because they missed her or they missed me. Or the, actually they just missed that I had the car and they didn't, right? They, but people always wanted to put a wedge between us. And one of the things that we've tried to do in our marriage is we've never let wedges come between us. We may have problems. We may have financial problems. We may have disagreements. We may disagree how we want to raise the kids. We may disagree what we want to spend our money on. We may disagree of who, what team we want to watch in the afternoon of football. But we don't ever try to let wedges come between us. And when they do, things aren't right. Things aren't right. And so God says, listen, don't have anything else before you. Don't let no wedges. Don't let anything divide us. Just love me. The greatest thing we could do is love God and let him be our sole devotion. Let him be our sole devotion. I've always told our kids, we've always told our kids, that if you really want to be a great student at school, love God. If you really want to be a great husband or a great wife, love God. If you really want to be a great father or a great mother one day, love God. We always tell them to love God. Why? Because when they are solely focused on God, all the other distractions won't matter, and you get to hear him clearly. You get to hear him clearly. It's kind of like those games where you put a blindfold on, and you have to try to follow the voice, you know, and you follow the voice and in order to lead them to the right path. You know, so at times when we go home to Michigan, we celebrate with piñatas, and, and, you know, we hold it up, and we blindfolded them, you know. We blindfolded them, we put them, and then we spin them, and then for some reason we give them a deadly weapon in their hand, right? But before we let them go crazy, we guide them to where they need to go. God will always be with you, even if you don't see him. As long as you don't let a wedge, as long as you don't let things come between you and him, you are going to be led in the right way. Keep your focus on him. Worship him. Worship him. That's why God said in Amos 5.4, seek me and live. So the first principle is love God. The second principle is this, love people. Love people. 
Amos 5.14 says this, Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then your God Almighty will be with you just as you say he is. Love people. Love people. You know, it's been a long time. It's been a long time where I've been cussed out at. I mean, and so just this last week, I was cussed out at. I just, I just, it's been a long time since someone's just literally just laid the cuss words at me. At least this is what I believe because here's what happened. I was coming home from church and I was driving home and I'm, I'm at the corner of um, 4th and Highway 50 or Highway 169 there. I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting there and just, you know, taking my time, you know, because, you know, I don't want to damage our car. And there's, and honestly, every single car in Fairmont decided to come down the highway, you know, just come down the highway there and, and, or Highway 15. And, and, you know, and so I'm just waiting and I, you know, and literally there's cars everywhere. Well, I see this guy behind me and he, you know, and I thought he was actually, you know, smoking a cigar or something, but there was steam coming out of that car, man. He would, he would, and I looked back and his face was red and he, beep, 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 just cussing at me, just cussing at me. And I'm, I'm not talking, you know, rated PG. I'm talking like diehard, you know, the, the, the kind you would rent the movies where all the words aren't bleeped over. This guy was just laying it on me. And I thought, Lord God, help that poor man. Teach that man patience. What? You want to use me to show him patience and sit here just a little bit longer? Okay, God. Okay, that was my first thought, right? But, but I was just thinking, Lord, you know, and I said, Lord, bless that man. You know, open a way so I can get out of here before he comes to my window or something. And, and he was just going off and off and off. And finally, there was a window of opportunity, and I, I took it. And uh, unfortunately, as soon as he was getting ready to go, he, uh, a whole bunch of cars came again, and he had to stop. And I, you know, But the thing is, is that my first thought wasn't, bless this man. My first thought was, Lord, if you want me to be used for your glory to show this man justice, I will show him for you, you know? And because we're human, it's tough loving people. And I don't know who it was, but we have to follow the golden rule, right? Treat others the way you want to be treated. It's not always loving people. It's not always easy loving people. Some people just make it more difficult. Some people think they have the gift, the spiritual gift of bugging us, you know? And, and it's hard to love people. But we must love people, even if they draw out the worst in us. God wants us, God demands us to show what love is to that individual. God wanted the Israelites to, to show kindness to the poor, to show kindness to those who were suffering. And he tells them in Amos 5.15, hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. The great thing about love is that it does not require the other person's participation. The great thing about love is it does not require other people to join in with you. One of my favorite movies is War Games. And War Games was made back like in the 80s, early 80s. And, and you know, and it's, it's just, it's just a, a fun movie. It's about computers, so of course I'm going to like it. And, and, and in the opening scene shows where this car's driving in the middle of nowhere. And it's a winter storm, and the snow's blowing, and it's just, it's just crazy out. And they get to this little house, and they open up this house, but the house isn't a house. It's actually a secret United States missile silo. And, and uh, you know, and so, so they get in there, and they go up to this, this mirror, and then they it's a one-way glass and the people inside you know buzz them
them in. They come in. They get their, their, get their weapons and, and they get their badges and their keys and they go off to, to maintain the missile site. And so they're in the, they, they relieve the guys on duty. And so now two guys are on duty. And, um, and then they're there and they're getting comfortable and talking about, you know, things that are going on. And then all of a sudden over the speaker, whoop, whoop, whoop. Emergency message coming through, and all of a sudden the launch sequence is, is, is being commanded to them, and they're, they're able, they want them to verify the code, so they get out their little code sheets, and they verify it, and they say, okay, this is real, this is real, and they say, okay, let's get ready, let's, um, let's begin to uh, get the, the numbers in, and they get everything all set, and then finally, in order to, to get ready, they, they each have their own key. And, you know, they're, they're, they're a good, you know, 20 feet away from each other. And, and so they both put their keys in. They turn it to set. And, and the next, next turn is called launch. Now, I'm, I'm about 10 years old, you know, when I'm watching this movie. This is, this is just a fascinating movie. It's just so cool. The music, the, the intensity, the thing is. But even when I was 10 years old, this thought came to my mind as I'm watching this movie. So this movie's, you know, they're, you know, get ready. And the, the, the launch sequence comes in, you know, and, and for some reason they started like at 15 or something, you know. They, they don't know that you're supposed to start at 3, but they started at 15. And while this long countdown is going on, one of the guys, the older guy, says, this isn't right. We got to call somebody. And the younger guy says, that's not the procedure, sir. He says, we're going we're gonna to kill millions of people with these nuclear weapons. We've got to call somebody. That's not the procedure, sir. He says, get someone on the line. And so he finally tries to get someone on the line, can't do it. And then finally, it gets down to five, four, three. And the guy who's hesitant removes his hand from the key. And then all of a sudden, the younger guy says, sir, put your hand on the key, sir. Three, two, one, launch launch put your hand on the key sir and and he doesn't want to do it he puts his hand down and he just can't do this and finally the younger guy pulls out a double action revolver oh man it looks good back in the 80s those revolvers right pulls out that clint eastwood revolver sir put your hand on the key and he didn't do it and then you know the the dramatic clock cocks the gun and click you know put your hand on the key and then the scene cuts well, he doesn't put his hand on the key, and the guy doesn't shoot him. They just, it was end up being a false alarm, and they're glad that it didn't go off. But the point is this, is that I was watching as a kid, I'm thinking, if you shoot him, who's going to help you turn the key, you know? And I was, you know, as a kid, nope, that ain't going to work. You know, what are you going to do, and how are you going to turn the key? You see, the great thing about loving people is it does not require two people. It requires one. It requires your commitment to love the individual. When God asks us to love people, it is not based upon how they respond because sometimes you are going to love people and they're going to throw it right back in your face. Sometimes you're going to do good things to people. You're going to try to be fair to people and they are going to throw it right back in your face. I didn't do anything to the guy behind me. All I was doing was trying to be a safe driver, but he was upset with me. And yet my ability to love him has not nothing to do with the way he's reacting to me. It's about a choice that we make. And when we love people, like Romans 13 says, it says this, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. 
Think about this. Paul tells the people, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Our debt should be that we love one another. Our responsibility, our obligation is to love one another. And what is amazing is when this verse is completed, because the whole verse says this, let no one remain, no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Wait a minute. Well, you're telling me that if I just choose to love people, that Paul is saying that we have fulfilled the law? Absolutely. Why? Because Jesus said it to us in Matthew 22. He said this, as an expert of the law came to test him and question him, the teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? He asked, what is the greatest commandment? He didn't say, tell me your top five, tell me your top three. He says, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That is the first and greatest commandment. And second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the laws of the prophets hang on these two commands. Look at what Jesus said. And the second is like it. The second is just like the first. You cannot have one without the other. You cannot say you love God completely and don't like people. You can't say you love God completely and don't love people. You can't say you love people and put other things before you. You can't do it. Both of them are required. And that's why Paul says that if you're willing to love, then you will fulfill what the law has said. And Jesus said this, said this, the same message that was being preached to the people in Israel at the time of Amos. God says, seek me and live. Don't seek Bethel. Don't seek false gods. Don't seek things that are not me. Seek me and live. And the second, be good. Seek good. Be fair. This, these words are repeated from the lips of Jesus. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. Now I understand that it's not always hard or not always easy to love people. So we're going to come back to that one. But the first one is love God. You know, for us it seems like it's always easier to love God because God isn't yelling back at us and God isn't unfair to us and God hasn't abandoned us. But God wants us to love him completely. Our commitment, our relationship needs to be fully devoted to him. No other gods before him. Not money, not education, not self, not lust, not power. You cannot live in sin and be fully committed. You must be fully committed. God does not want anything before him, before you. So you have to make a decision. Am I going to love God more than my career? than my future, than my family. Now you think, Pastor, why would you say that? You know, I know you love your family. I know you love, you know, you love your kids. You love your church. But why would you say that? I say that gladly. I'm, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that our kids have got this in our spirit. Before Pete and Cynthia were, were married, you know, they were going through this dating process. And Pete came up one day and he says, Mom, you know you're number two. And, uh, and our heart just dropped. You know, because she naturally understood that he was starting to fall in love with Cynthia. And he says, whoa, 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 mom, you know, Jesus is number one, right? Because the thing is, is that we always wanted our kids to know that love him first. Because when you love God first, here's the great thing. People get the overflow 
of what is happening between you and God. The reason why I say love God first is because then my family gets the overflow of the relationship that I have with God. Your friends get the overflow of the relationship that you have with God. Your coworkers, your family get the overflow. And then all of a sudden it gets better. So when we put him first, everything else is enhanced. You know, when, when you think about uh, any type of sports team, you know, it's the person, you know, we always think about that one person who scored the touchdown or made the basket or, or made the goal. You know, think of that one person that saved the game. But when that one person wins, the whole team wins. And that's why God says, love me first. And he'll elevate all those other areas in your life. So, so if you're here this morning and there are things that are between your relationship with God, there are wedges, education, power, selfishness, greed, whatever it is, just get rid of those things. Let God be first. Let him wash those things out of your life and you're going to begin to see your relationship blossom and your life get to that point where he said back in Amos, seek me and live. You're going to begin to live life in peace and, and, and fulfillment and satisfaction because there's nothing between you and God. So if you're here this morning and you have issues of sin, just get right with the Lord. Ask Him to forgive you. He will. Why? Because He loves you that much. He just wants you to be close to Him. He's willing to put those things aside so that you can be close to Him. The second thing is we got to love people. Now, I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. I know that. We know that. But you got to love people. You just got to put your head down and you just got to love people. You got to make that choice. I'm going to love you. Maybe there are people that, that, that bother you. Maybe there are people that you dislike. Go out of your way to show them God's love. They may throw it back in your face. They may, they may hurt you. They may, may say things about it. They may laugh at you. But make a decision to love people. And when you do that, you do good. And that's what God told the people of Israel. Seek good and hate evil. Seek good and live. Seek good and live. So the two things that we must do as, as Christians, we must love God and love people. Make a decision that you're going to be fully devoted and fully committed, and you're going to love those all around you. And when we do that, we will live. We will find the story of salvation that God wanted to bring to the people of Israel. We'll find that in our life today.